Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, a J10 initiative. Welcome to Catholic Stuff You Should Know, Father Michael. Father Nathan. Thanks for joining us. And uh, We're back, folks. And we're still recording on St. Valentine's Day. So, Father Nathan, on the last podcast that we did together said that we're going to do worst Valentine's Day stories. Oh, yeah. And exactly. I don't really, I have one that wasn't Valentine's Day, but I'm going to share it anyway, but I'll let you go first because I'm expecting utter hilarity. Well, I thought as celibates, it's probably not a good idea to do best Valentine's <laughs> That's Days. That's true. <laughs> um, but uh, worst Valentine's Day. So um, I made, I called up my grandma, Alba. Okay. The boss, like Nona. She makes the best spaghetti sauce i've ever had okay ever i've been i've been to a bunch of different places it's never been as good okay i called her one day and i said grandma i want to make uh i want to make rigatoni for this girl that i'm really interested in nice and she's like i haven't shared this recipe with anyone <laughs> and i wrote it all down on like a like a stupid like not even a 3M memo pad, okay. but like one of those lame ones. And I had it all <laughs> written down. I've since lost that thing. Uh-huh. And I'm so angry at myself. Okay. I go over to this girl's house, right? I make it exactly like my grandma wow. said. Okay. Now, I think that I made it even the night before. To test. Um, no, 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 no. Because oh. it requires a whole day oh, to simmer. Wow. So I brought it over to her house, right? I did not have a car. Um, I was I was fifteen. Um, I my parents dropped me off with all my stuff. Okay, I brought roses. I made the whole meal. Okay, we sat in her dining room, and I served this rigatoni. Right, nice. All of a sudden, the doorbell rings. Right, ding dong. She gets up. She goes to the door. Doors within hearing distance. And it's this guy from Meridian, Meridian, folks. Next town over. Like, garbage, okay? <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Like, we never liked Meridian. Meridian, Indiana? Meridian, Illinois. Oh, Illinois. They, they, Meridian's not even a town. Okay. It's, a, it's a series <laughs> of places. Macon, uh, Macon, I don't even know where else. Like, dirt farmers. <laughs> I didn't even like anybody from Meridian, okay? And uh, I've since to meet a lot of good people from Meridian. But at the time, I didn't. So this guy from Meridian shows up. I'm like, what are you doing driving all the way here from Meridian? Don't you have, like, you know, like, bucktooth women or, like, pigs that you can go out with there? And uh, anyways, uh, he's like, he brought her roses. And she goes, oh... Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And she's like, I wish I could invite you in, but I'm with somebody. Could you come back in like an hour? Oh. And I'm like, just eating my rigatoni in silence. Because she didn't think I could hear. Oh. And uh, and then she comes back to the table. We finish the meal. That's it. Wow. That's it. Bummer, dude. <laughs> Little 15-year-old Nathan Goval. Oh, my gosh. I was so... I, mean, I was so into this girl. Oh. I was so into it. And I'm pretty sure that after that, it was just like, yeah, I think we're done. I think we're done here. Yeah. Like, I, I need to have a little little self-respect. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Yeah, um, mine. My most hilarious, horrible dating story wasn't St. Valentine's Day. It was actually Halloween, Ooh. and we had. I like. I had dated girls like middle school crushes, you know, high school crushes just never panned out in any real way. So my first real, like I asked a girl out was actually second year of college. And, um, like the girls I knew that year, cause I, I came back home. I went to TAC for a year, failed out, came back home, did a community college for a year, then went to Steubenville. So when I, in that year I was home, I just dated kind of just typical girls that I ran into at community college and it wasn't, it wasn't anything good. Um, there are like that would, that would have been any, in any way directed towards vocation of marriage. So when I went to Steubenville, I actually knew that they had a pre-theology program and I was discerning the priest and I've been discerning for a long time, but, but I, I knew they did, but I had never really dated a good girl that I was like, this could lead to marriage. And I wanted to have that experience. I, not that I wanted to lead a girl on, but I just wanted to like, say, let me, let me experience this in order to discern properly. So the first girl I dated actually asked me out. And uh, and so we, we were dating for about two months. And then it was Halloween. We went out to Halloween party. And then at the Halloween party, she just was seeing a lot of things. We went into a, like a secular Halloween party. And she just saw a lot of things that kind of freaked her out at the party. So she was like, can we just go back? I was like, of course. So we went back. We went to the Portiancula Chapel, like the, the Perpetual Adoration Chapel. Mm-hmm. Well, because it was Halloween, they had closed the tabernacle. So it wasn't the exposed Eucharist. But we went in there, and we were the only ones in there. So we must have sat there in the back of the Port Chapel for like an hour and a half just talking. And she shared with like – she became so vulnerable, like in just things about her life. And I, I shared things too. And we had this amazing, amazing, amazing bonding moment sitting alone in like the port chapel, like the most intense prayerful place on the entire campus. And then like, as the conversation is ending and I'm just falling head over heels for this girl in the port chapel where all these people are constantly getting engaged. Like every Steubenville student, if they get engaged, they get engaged there. All of a sudden, (laughs) this is going, she's like, by the way. I promised God like at the beginning of the semester that I'd go on a dating fast for this semester. And I'm so sorry. I know I asked you out. I know it's going well, but I really feel convicted that, that I need to keep my promise. I was like, what the heck? Like, why would you just share so much with me? Like I'm head over heels for you right now. And, and, and now you're dumping me in the port. Like how, how, what, how many, I probably shared this before, but how many kids have been dumped in the port like that's where you get engaged, but it was just all oh, it was. You did, I did, you I did. did. It was it was heart wrenching. Obviously, it all was good in the end, but yeah, that was like my hilariously awkward and horrible dating story. <laughs> and I don't mind you laughing at me because I I laugh that's at myself like, that, all the that's time. That's just that's another story like you mentioned before, like where Jesus is just laughing. Yeah, Jesus was just like eh. exactly. <laughs> Uh, anyway, God works in mysterious and sometimes funny ways. So, yeah, happy Valentine's Day, everybody. St. Valentine's Day. Happy St. Valentine's Day. Probably you're having three a great weeks late. time. Yeah. <laughs> Sitting alone, oh, podcasting about all things love. Actually, is my topic of love at all? It's really, yeah, it's about love, of course. Everything Catholic is. But um, All right, awkward transition into the topic. I think this week... We are heading to the L.A. Congress, right? Uh, I no, think we're already done. We're already done. We're already done. 
We had an awesome time in LA. Very nice to meet you guys at LA Congress. We exactly. sold some t-shirts, did some live recordings. Great people. You guys are great. Emily, what was her name that we met? Uh, Emily Lancaster. Lancaster. Yes, Emily Lancaster. Lancaster. You were great. I awesome. am so sorry I puked yeah. all over you. I am. So, I, I, this the, for some reason the combination of fish tacos and Sour Patch Kids didn't go down well. But like, I'm sure you can contact your local dry cleaner. They can get that out. <laughs> And send send the receipt to uh, Father Nathan. All right. So um, I had this weird Byzantine moment when I was first ordained and I was starting to do because like every saint in the Byzantine uh, church has a there. They belong to a certain class. And so like these different class, I think you guys have the same thing in the Roman Missal, but every saint when they have a certain class. So you when you celebrate the divine liturgy, the back of our divine liturgy books has just the the hymns for that class of saint and then it has an ins where you insert the person's name right and i mean i learned this in seminary but i was going through it at one point and i thought you know where like of course the celibate byzantine pastor is a weird thing anyway like most pastors are married if you're celibate you're in a monastery so you're if you're celibate you're a monk if you're married you're a pastor that's usually the way it goes with 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 the orders in in, in the byzantine world so I was kind of an, feeling awkward since I was a celibate pastor. It's, it's just a unique thing in the whole Byzantine world. Um, so, of course, in kind of in a moment of, of humble pride or of arrogance, I, I looked and I was saying, like, what class of saints? Like, if, if God willing, again, arrogant, if God willing, he wants me to be, like, a recognized saint in the church, like, what class would I fit in? Like, all the venerables are monastics, Mm-hmm. And all of the all of the 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 hierarchs are are hierarchs. They're bishops. So it just felt very weird. Like in my place, I'm not a monastic and I'm not a bishop. So where where would I fit in? You're gonna get smacked down to common of holy men. <laughs> For, right, right. That means, and I get. I would. I think I would since I'm a celibate. Since I'm just not a bishop, I would fit into right the, the word whole. I mean, I'm, this is, sounds so arrogant, but anyway, someone in my situation. I don't want you to say It's not going to happen. Someone, so. <laughs> amen. Someone in my situation would fall into just a, a venerable, you know, so, someone. Unless I die a martyr, that'd be awesome, and then it, then I would of course be a martyr. But if I'm not a martyr, then that would be something else. So my my kind of what I pulled out of this thought was where do I fit in? Was that why does it matter where I fit in? Like. My job is to make my bishop a saint. So, like, I represent the bishop in my parish. That's what a pastor is. The, 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 the bishop is the head of every parish. The pastor is just the one who represents him in leading that specific flock within his church that is that diocese or eparchy. So my job as a priest and as a pastor is, is to, of course, may, is to facilitate my people becoming holy through Christ, but also to facilitate my bishop becoming holy through Christ. So my goal then is... Is to is to make my bishop a saint. I want Bishop Gerald at the time, and I want Bishop John. I both want them to be recognized as, as saints, and I want I would love to be part of that work. So, my my thought is is in the topic of this podcast: how to be a good follower. Like we go through good leaders, good shepherds. We go through, there's all these books on leadership. There's all these ways of training. How do you become a good leader? And we, of course, priests and pastors, you know, uh, fathers, mothers, bosses, we all need to be good leaders, but how do we become a better follower? You know, not, I don't, I don't necessarily mean like a disciple, like a disciple is a follower of Christ. We all need to be good followers of Christ, but I mean, good followers within the church and within our lives. How do we facilitate the leadership of others and make their Mm. leadership better? I think this is actually a virtue. This is something to think about. Yeah. 
We oftentimes think that that uh, that leaders are kind of they're immovable, they're unshakable, like they have it all together. You know, our our, our pastors and our parishes, our bishops, they're human. You know, they're they're vulnerable, they're weak in many ways. And I think that there's two different ways. If we see those weaknesses, we can try to manipulate them through those weaknesses or take advantage of them through weaknesses, or we can say. I want to make his job easier. I want to make my spouse's job easier. I want to make my bishops, my pastors, my bosses. Like, isn't it a virtue to say, I'm going to make their life easier and make them thrive in that vocation through my work? So hmm. the, this came about kind of serendipitously, my, my initial thought on this, because um, in Denver, now that I have a deacon, Deacon Basil Balky, one of us preaches to the adults, one preaches to the children. So in Denver, I have two liturgies, and I only write one homily, either for adults or for children, since we have both homilies every Sunday. So, But when I go to Fort Collins in, the, in Sunday evening, I preach both. So it's been known before that I actually just copied Deacon Basil's homily and I gave it to the adults or to the children. But, but this was a Sunday where I just— I, I I had like my homily was long enough to the adults. I was doing the adult homily that I ha- I could break it into two parts and give part of it to the kids, part of the adults. Well, the the gospel was Luke's beatitudes, so he does not say like Matthew does, "Blessed are the poor in spirit." He says, "Blessed are the poor," and sentence you know so he's not saying like matthew well you can have as much money as you want as long as you're you know as long as you'd be willing to get rid of it if god called you to right now you're not dependent upon it right it's not debilitating in any way luke just says blessed are the poor so i was just preaching on the fact that we need to have some sort of poverty in our life this is why we fast right the fasting is is an imposed poverty in our life it, it is a way of saying i'm in need of something in this world and that helps me to understand that I'm in need of God, mm-hmm. right? And so there's something about—so anyway, so I, I get up to Fort Collins, and I'm like, how am I going to break this homily? I forget what, even what the other part was, but part of it was saying, you know, we need to make our lives through fasting and through poverty. We need to make our lives so there's actually some struggle. There's some lack of control, and there is some explicit poverty. So— what I was I'm now, so I decided for some reason, I believe the Holy Spirit was in it. I decided to preach this part to the kids. So, like, I have kids sitting there between two and 12, right? And I'm preaching them about poverty. Now, they have no control over their life, right? It, that aspect, when it comes to poverty or wealth, is, is completely controlled by their parents. So, like, as I'm preaching, I'm preaching the adult homily that I had in Denver, but I'm preaching to the kids, but I'm looking at children. So I I changed it a little bit in my homily, and I say, you know, your parents, they really want to give you everything. Like, they want you to be perfectly happy. They want you to be in full control of your lives. They want to, to make sure that you are perfectly happy and have received everything you need and everything you want even. So if your parents are struggling with poverty, like my parents struggled with poverty, and I said, it would be so nice if you saw your parents saying, I am incapable of giving my child everything I want to give them, you're going to make their life a lot easier if you are able to tell them, like, mom and dad, I know my friends have nicer shoes than I do. I know my friends have better video game systems than I do. I know my friends go on better vacations than I do. But I want you to know, like, I'm okay with that. 
Like I don't need to get everything I want. And I'm able to say if I don't get something I want, it actually helps my faith because I cannot be in control of my faith. And I am not, if I'm moving towards receiving the gift of salvation from Christ, I can better understand that in a lived way by lacking something in this world because I am lacking something in my salvation as I move towards it. So lacking something in this world through poverty helps me to understand that spiritual reality better. Well, I had two kids just burst into tears, like probably an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old just burst into tears when I say this. And I couldn't tell, like, are they crying because they don't want to tell their parents that because they do want everything. And now here's right. Father Michael telling me that I can't have everything I want. Uh-huh. Or are they thinking this is a really beautiful thing? Because the two, it was two girls. No, it was two girls. One was my niece, who I know. Oh, she's holy. It, she is. And, and another one was, was another girl that, that has a very like loving and giving family. Like, like They're both deep enough in their spiritual life where it could have been just sure. like, I do get it. I get what you're saying. But I don't know. I didn't ask him later on. I didn't want to make it awkward. But I thought children, by by kind of this Holy Spirit moment in the homily, children can help their parents be good leaders by saying, like, don't worry about the fact that you want to give me everything and can't. Like, I am going, I am going to to build you up and to be receptive and say there are other things much more important than what shoes or what vacations or, or what whatever we have. And I'm going to appreciate those things so that, that even if it bothers you, don't let it bother you because it's bothering me because it is not bothering me. And and if you if it's not going to bother you as much by me telling you this, then I've I've that's my goal. In other words, that's what I'm getting at. Yeah, I mean, I I think that's a grace because it was years. And granted, like nobody ever told me that, you know, honestly. Right. uh, In the gospel or in a homily or at least that I can remember. But it was years before I said to my dad, I am not angry at you because you did not get me Umbro shorts. Hmm. I wanted Umbro shorts so freaking bad, which was such a stupid idea because I had white pasty chicken legs <laughs> but i just wanted umbro shorts right and my dad was like i am not spending that much money on shorts right and he just said no yeah and i i was like you hate me like you don't love me the same way the other people why is it oh. always so hard for me oh. you know and then at some point in my life i was like my dad not getting me those umbro shorts like helped me yeah in more ways than i could ever imagine yeah so it wasn't until after the fact, I mean, like years later, right. I was like, Dad, thanks for not buying me those Umbro shorts whenever I really yeah. wanted them. And I, I honestly, I mean, kids, you have to be a very mature child to see the inequality in the world and to say that that's okay. Like you have to be so mature to say, I, my friends, like I remember being in elementary school, we got a buck a week. Uh, for for allowance and that was a lot i mean my my parents really i mean that that was a struggle for them to even give us that but i mean they did it out of, out of just out of leadership too but there was a kid in my school that got 25 bucks a week Whoa. allowance and he would just be in like what year this would have been like 1985 you know Whoa. 25 bucks a week allowance and he would just brag to everybody about it and i remember a friend one time telling me like Let's go do this. I'm like, oh, I, I, I can't. Like, that That takes money. Like, I don't have any money. Like, they're like, just ask your parents for it. And I was like, I remember literally thinking, but if I take it from them, then they won't have it. Like, like, like we're like, I, I know I've tried this before, but like, me and my parents are on the same team here. Like, we're, we're all moving in the same direction. It was just something but the brilliance of the way I was raised. But, but that, like... 
being helpful to leaders, it, what what sparked my thought on it again was the movie mm-hmm. Silence. And I don't want to. I don't want to give too much away, and I don't want you to have to. <laughs> we are going to do a podcast on. That, okay, folks. so we're going to do a podcast on it. But but there's 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 one scene without giving too much away where where there is a where the the priest is being attacked by the inquisitor. They want him to apostatize. They want him to deny his faith. And the way they the one of the techniques they use is by torturing other people. Right. And then saying, we will stop torturing them if you apostatize. Like, it's one thing to say, I'm going to torture you unless you apostatize. But but it, it, it tugs on a priest or anybody's heartstrings to right. say, I'm going to stop torturing them if you apostatize. So, and one of the things I thought, I felt so bad for the priest. I mean, being a priest myself, I felt so bad for the priest as I felt bad for the people that were being tortured. But I just thought, if I was the priest being tortured, it would be so hard to make that decision so incredibly hard i acknowledge that but if i was one of the people being tortured i would love if i had the holiness and the strength and the courage at that moment to cry out don't waver like right. let me die let me be tortured and when when you have like his 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 struggle came because he was a leader and because he was a loving leader. He loved these people enough to let that be an actual debate in his head. He let the debate happen in his head out of love for them. So if one of those people or if all of them ideally would have said, don't let this be a debate, like we're okay. We're, we're going to die for our faith. Mm-hmm. This is a very Christian, honorable thing to do. And, and so, so don't let this shake your faith. They were, if they had done that, they would have been, I mean, I'm not criticizing them at all, but if I was in their shoes, and and doing that, I could have I would have been a helpful follower. I would have helped the leader, helped the priest to 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 make the right decision based upon not that he had to like the 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 confusion was alleviated a little bit. It was an easier decision. It was easier to do the right thing because I was a good follower. And if we did this with our spouses, I mean, in in creative ways, if we made our spouse's life easier and did that intentionally, like, what can I do to make it easier for you to love me? What can I do to make it easier for you to give yourself for me? You know, this is in a sense what Ephesians Ephesians 5 is all about, right? You know, be submissive to one another, be under the mission of each other, let Help the other person's mission. Help them in their ordination. Subordinate ordination, submissive mission. Like help their mission, help their ordination, help what they're meant to do. And this is something that is beautiful and is Christian and it's the right thing to do, whether it's to cry out, don't don't feel sorry for me. Yeah. I am doing what God wills for me. Or like a child, don't don't think you need to give me everything. I will thrive even if you don't. Well, and I I sometimes have to remind, you know, people of the duties that they have in in their life because it's like in the fulfillment of your duties it's easier for other people to fulfill their duty right you know right um i mean not to it is valentine's day but there is a marital duty to one another right i'm not gonna say more right okay but if you're not fulfilling a marital duty to the other you could be leading the other into sin because you're saying, no, like it's not going to happen. Yeah. At the same time, if you ask too much of a person's duty and go beyond that, uh, then now all of a sudden they can't fulfill their duty. Right. Um, so, you know, I think you can get the idea on that yeah. one. It, um, but uh, the other thing is, you know, as a, as a pastor, 
I'm sorry. Like, uh, if if I if I tithe, if I tithe, and I tithe, you know, this percent of my my income, you know, normally for your parish, it's around five percent. Right. You know, you don't have to give the full ten percent to your parish. Right. You can give five percent to your local parish. And then 5% to other charitable causes, hopefully for like a Christian, you know, you can't buy 5% worth of Girl Scout cookies, okay? (laughs) Um, I tried. Um, But uh, if everyone gave 5%, do you realize how much charity we could give to people? Yeah. Like, it wouldn't just be like, oh my gosh, we have so much money, we could just like, you know, buy a new furnace or whatever. Okay, yeah, maybe. But we would also give a lot of money away. Right. Um, so if people fill their fulfill their vows, fulfill their duty, fulfill their their the the sacred action that they've been asked to to perform, right. It would be amazing. Yeah. If we had everyone do their uh Easter duty, which is go to confession and receive the Eucharist. Yeah. Um I mean, granted, you're only asked to re- you only asked to go to confession once a year. You're only asked to receive the Eucharist once a year, um, preferably during the Easter season. If every single person did that, every single one of your parishioners did that, yeah. I mean, you'd be busy, yeah. And we would actually get to a point where we'd be like, we need more priests, yeah. But the more people shirk on their duties, yeah. then it's kind of like you know. Yeah. So if you had people fulfilling that, it would actually help your leadership, right? Because you would then say, "Yep, you know what, folks, we need more people." Yep, um, and and then they would be empowered because they would want to step up. You would feel empowered because you're organizing them. Yeah, you know. Yeah, and in the same way, you maybe think of the reality that the reason why churches in the United States have uh, tax exempt status is because they're seen as as having some profit to the greater society. So you look at this especially with like Catholic schools and Catholic hospitals. Like they they are they they're not for profit. They're there because they believe in God and they believe that God wants them to serve their fellow man and to make their life easier. So so but what happened was is over time People were not fulfilling their duty of discerning religious life. So, I mean, look look at the hospitals, especially the hospitals. Catholic hospitals were staffed by who? Nuns. Nuns were the nurses. Nuns were the doctors. I mean, this is what the same thing with schools. That they were nuns, so they didn't need to get a lot of money. So you, so poor kids could go right. to Catholic schools. Right. Poor people could go to Catholic hospitals. And it was because, but but we have not as a, as a church done our duty of discerning vocation. So now all of our Catholic hospitals and most of our Catholic schools are all staffed by lay people that need a real living wage. Yep. Nuns did not leave a living wage. They didn't want a living wage. They weren't doing it for the money. They didn't need to support anybody. So so. The, the churches and the hospitals, the homeless ministries from the, from the churches, the church provided a real service to greater society because they did not need as much money as anybody else did. So I think that's why, I, I, I mean, I, I, I would not be surprised if we lost our nonprofit status the next 20 years, you know, because people don't see us as being a benefit anymore because they're like, you're paying your teachers they're not actually Catholic school teachers get paid a lot less than public school teachers, right. but, but, but it's, but, and, and that is beautiful and good. Um, and thank, thank you, my gosh, Catholic school teachers and, and public school teachers too, but for doing that, but there's, you, you still need to pay them more than you have to pay nuns, you know, yep. and there is, we're lacking, we're slacking in our duty of discerning vocations. 
and therefore we're having to bring lay people into situations and therefore pay them more. So we're not as much of a service to society anymore. And you're right. It is a, we're making the leadership and we're making it's, we're making it harder on the church and its hierarchy to function in the way it should, because we're not being good followers. We're not fulfilling our duty to discern and we're not fulfilling our duty to tithe. We're not, we're not making intentionally making our leaders' lives easier by participating in the in the greater working of the church and in the greater working of society. I mean, we're, we're, many of us are still doing good jobs. You know, of course we are. Many of us are. But but there's still, there's still a lack, and I think that's something we need to be more intentional about. Yeah. And that actually there it comes back to you. You know, like right. if you if you give in this way, you will receive. Yeah. You know? Um I mean, I, I've said it before, you know, not just the Easter duty, but like if every single person in my parish boundaries went to mass, uh, we would have to rent out oh, yeah. like, you know, the Pepsi Center yeah. every week. Yeah. Um, so what would the sign value of that be? You know, if if all of this leaven rose to the top right. and then people just said, you know, I want to be identified as a Christian. Right. Um, and if they did that, uh, now all of a sudden other people would say, um, okay, like that helps me. That gives me confidence. That gives me hope. Right. Um, so I think one thing I would say is, you know, f- uh, discern what your duty is. Right. For a kid, what's your duty? It's being a son, a daughter, a student, um, a, a communal member of this corporation of you know the household um and like actually being a contributing member if you're just that dude that eats you know gushers on the couch doesn't unload the dishwasher doesn't take out the trash you're a total larbage like you are a parasite okay Mm -hmm. like unplug the xbox like get off your phone and uh just do something i'm telling you your parents will see it as like water in a parched desert, yeah. if you just, without being told, just take out the trash. Yeah. Do it for a week. My God, your parents will die. <laughs> they will die. I mean, like, literally, um, when I got old enough, when I got old enough, and my dad and I were both leaving at the same time uh, for work and for school, I scraped off my dad's car. Oh. Because I was like, he's going to work. Yeah, he's making money. Yeah. for the rest of us, so yeah. that we can have you know like food and a home and whatever else. Right. Whatever little thing I can do, I'm gonna scrape off his car. Yeah. I probably didn't do it every single day. Right. But then it actually became fun because eventually my dad realized it and he was like, "You scraped off my car again." I'm like. Mm. Okay, sorry about that. You can do it next time. And then <laughs> I would have to wake up earlier to do it. Yeah. You know? And like it's little things like that that your parents are just like, God bless you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one of the aspects of honor your father and mother, the commandment. You know, there's a do you see children will benefit from their parents being happier and being better leaders? Like you said, we always benefit from being good followers by helping those who are leading us. And it's and I think part of it is to understand that our leaders are human, our parents, our spouses, our, our pastors, our bishops, they're human, they're vulnerable, they're gonna make mistakes. And so like making it so that their mistakes are less debilitating to the organism 
is beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, building up their strengths. I mean, seeing the strengths of, of, of your leader, whoever's leading you in whatever way, seeing their strengths and, and working to amplify those to make them effective and seeing their weaknesses and working to make them less hazardous or debilitating the organism is, is just a beautiful thing to help everybody. But I think because... In, in, a, in a competitive society, things like that is hard. It's like, well, no, I want their job, you know, if it's in the workplace, you know, or, or, or you know, it's just it, we, we think that our leaders should be better humans than us. And that's not always the case. Like they they might have a certain vocation, but might be struggling with things just as much as we are. But their vocation, their call is to lead and to serve. We can criticize all we want, but it, but it, it is a virtue to make it easier for them to lead us towards goodness and fulfillment. And again, leaders can be completely harmful. Absolutely. People can be put in the piece of leadership where they are harming themselves and they're harming me. If that's the case, do not work, do, do not make it easier for them to harm you. Of course not. But that there's something about their, their real human weakness, their real human strengths, that, that followers can help to make them thrive in, in the position where they're, and it's all over the scriptures, Actually, especially in the epistles where we hear, you know, Peter or Paul, somebody saying, you know, God puts leaders in their positions. You know, even Jesus says to Pilate, you know, you would not be in a position of authority unless God puts you there. You know, so there's a certain sense where even if it's not that obvious to see the good that God is doing to this leader, but there's still a virtue in in helping them to lead the organization or the organism better. Yeah. I mean— I I have to say to kids sometimes, I'm like, look, I know it's hard to go to Mass. I know my homilies can be super long and boring, okay? You're going to Mass, right? Don't complain. Right. Like, or just ask your parents, hey, when are we going to Mass this weekend? Right. So that you put it on their, you know, radar because they're busy. Yeah. You know, if you're going to go, when kids are going to go on vacation, I'm like, hey, ask your parents, where are we going to go to Mass? Right. Make it easier for them. Yeah. The other thing is, you know, um, the cell, uh, you know, because you're talking about organisms and kind of, you know, the cell of, you know, society is is the family or, you know, like in a workplace, you have kind of these microcosms, whatever. A cell's broken down into individual parts. You got the endoplasmic reticulum. You got the, I don't know, the ribosomes. uh, You got the mitochondria. Right. Okay, all that stuff. Everybody wants to be the nucleus. Right. <laughs> Everybody wants to be the nucleus. Yeah. There's only one nucleus. Yeah. Okay. And if you can minister to that nucleus, ultimately it aids the entire cell. Yeah. If the cell, if the cell's parts begin to break down, if the nucleus isn't supported by those parts, cell's going to die. Right. Everyone's going to die. Right. So um, no matter where we're talking, parish, family, workplace, church, nation, all of that, right? Um, if we're not supporting each other, uh, then we are a house divided, just yeah. like we talked about two weeks ago, and uh, and we will fail. Yeah, yeah. And I, I found some uh, some scripture passages that support this and, and allow it to be centered in, in the, the Word Bible. of God in the Bible. Uh, so Hebrews three seventeen. Uh, the author of the Hebrews, which we Byzantines say is traditionally Paul, uh, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls and will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with sighing, for that would be harmful to you. Exactly what we're saying. 
when your leaders serve you out of joy, it helps everybody rather than sighing. I like that translation. Like with, I mean, we, we, we priests, you know, we understand each other very well, so we can kind of vent to each other sometimes about about the uh, the ways that we sigh in our <laughs> about about certain people and the way groaning. That, that, the groaning that that we have and, and of course every leader um, understands that very well and has those moments. Um, but I mean, this is this is what what the author of the Hebrews is saying. In other words, like support your leaders. Don't don't only work out of jealousy. Don't and 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 like understand that that they are human too. I mean I th- I think that is one thing that I when I was a kid, I thought my pastor like he, that man can handle anything, anything. Like people can throw anything at this man and he'll handle it just fine. That's just not true. You know, we we need to understand our, our leaders are vulnerable, so in serving them as they serve mm-hmm. us, you know, we have that reality. Mm-hmm. Another uh Another and the second and the last uh, scripture passage. This was actually Father Brady Wagner mentioned this to me today, so I I looked up and figured it was good. So um, this is in uh, Matthew. Actually, I didn't write it down. It's I know it's in Matthew. Um, I think chapter twelve, verse thirteen. Anyway, um, when they came to Caesarea Philippi, and uh, and Jesus tells Peter, um, "You are Peter." And on this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. So this image, uh, Caesarea Philippi, if any of you guys have been to the Holy Land, you realize it's a massive, massive rock. Like, you, you can see it's still there. And, um, and so Jesus is kind of using this as a visual aid. Like, this is if you, uh, if you wanted to build a church in this area, you'd build it on this because that rock is huge. It's, in, it's not going to move. And, and the pagans actually built temples into that same rock. You can still see the outline of the Temple of Pan hmm. it, it built into from the, from the old pagans built in, and it's still there thousands and thousands of years later. Um, so you see this outline there, and so you say, this is where you'd build a church into this rock. So he's telling Peter... Like you are going to be the foundation stone of the church, you know, as as the first pope, and, and I mean, as weak as Peter was, and as a mess as Peter was, that's kind of the beauty of choosing a human being to. Of course, Christ is the rock. We see other places, scriptures. He is the foundation, but Peter is is going to represent him, serve him, even in his weakness. Um, and then later, I mean, just a few verses later. In uh, in verse twenty two, Peter took him aside and began rebuke him, rebuke Jesus, because Jesus talked about his death and resurrection. He talked about his death, and Peter's focusing on that death. And Peter says, "God forbid, Lord, this 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 must never happen to you." And he's rebuking Jesus, and then, then Jesus turns to Peter and says, "Get behind me, Satan! You are a stumbling block to me, a scandalon. That's where we get the word scandal from. You're a stumbling block, and so you're a stumbling block to me for you're setting your mind not on divine things but on human." things like when he's saying get behind me like a stumbling block is one that's ahead of us like so peter's a rock so he's a foundation but he's also a stumbling rock a stumbling block if you put the rock in front of someone they're going to stumble over it's gonna be a scandal to them it's gonna be so so peter is saying when he says god forbid this should happen to you Jesus is saying, you're putting yourself ahead of me. You're thinking you're leading me. You're trying to rebuke me. You're trying to tell me what to do. But if you want to be a good leader, you need to be a good follower of me. So if you're going to be behind me, you're going to be a foundation. If you're going to be ahead of me, you're going to be a stumbling block. Mm-hmm. Both are rocks. Rock is foundation or rock is stumbling block. So what kind of rock are you going to be? The foundation for a stable church or a stumbling block to lead others astray through scandal, even though the scandal that he tried to convince Christ to have. So Peter, in being a good leader, was also, of course, a good follower. 
you know, you cannot be a good leader unless you're going to be a good follower. And that's a great example of if, if you're trying to lead in ways that you're not supposed to lead, if you're not, you know, allowing yourself to participate in the life of, of the way the creator God has organized the world and wants to lead other people, it, it, you're very much going to be a stumbling block rather than a foundation, a, a hindrance rather than a help. The other scripture passage that I'm thinking of is uh, Jesus saying, whoever serves me must follow me. Yeah. And where I am, there also will my servant be. Right. So if you're going to serve me, you will follow. But ultimately, you will be a leader uh, who is a follower. Yeah. You know? No disciple is greater than his master. I I do that with the cantering in the parish. So like we're kind of going through right now, we're restructuring our cantering. I just want to, I want to like provide voice lessons, things like that to really work for a period of time on the cantering in the parish. And, and it's, you know, I think some people think that they're going to impress me and impress the other cantors by singing like really loud and kind of taking over. The liturgy, like, I mean, since we chant everything, like, some people, it sounds to me like they're trying to, oh, the cantor's not doing enough job. I'm just going to take over, and I'm going to lead the people instead. Like, that's not someone I'm going to choose as a cantor, right. because a good leader of singing has to be a good follower of singing. You you cannot lead other, you cannot teach others to be good followers unless you've been a good follower yourself. Yeah. So, so you know, there's people like that that I say, you know what, take a break, just follow for a while. Make sure you learn how to do that, and then you'll be able to explain when you're teaching others how to follow and then therefore how to lead. You know, the, the two go very well together. So, yeah, I mean, we need—every we every leader is also a follower, and every follower, of course, is also a leader in, in a certain sense. Can be called, yeah, yeah. to be a leader. And, and I, I think almost everybody is, you know, leads in certain ways, whether it's just through inspiration, through example, you know, whatever it is. We, we, we're, we're, we're inspired and we find ways of following Christ through seeing the way that others do it. And, and so we all, you know, it's, it, is kinda, it is kinda funny being on Valentine's Day, St. Valentine's Day, where, where you're saying, you know, people can say, well, you know, this day is all about love, or you're talking about families being the nucleus of the church. I mean, things like that. It's like, well, what if I don't have a family? What if I'm single? It's like, you are definitely leading others and participating in the life of the church, even if you don't. I mean, I want, I actually want to do a whole podcast on exceptions. I think the whole idea of exceptions in the world and exceptions to the rule is a very important part of, of the way that the church ministers to the wider world. But anyway, I'll keep that for another time. But, but there is, we, we are all, we are all, if we, if we're, if we're following what God's will is for us as we become holy, we're all leaders in a way where other people are looking to us to lead and guide them towards their fulfillment. Amen. And that's all I have. That's it, folks. We're at 41 minutes. That's not bad. We're good. Nice. Nice. A little little love shout out to uh, Becca Messel. Pretty sure she edited uh, Father John and Father Mike's last podcast, <laughs> which was at 59 minutes. 59 minutes. Excellent editing, Becca. You easily could have gone over an hour, and I would have loved that, but you obviously did not want that, so. <laughs> nope. No. All right. I'm not going to lead in that area. Yeah, me neither. I will I'll, follow. I'll let that go. <laughs> so anyway, I have a shout-out. Um my buddy Blaine Jamelka uh, wanted a shout out for EJ and Esther De La Cruz, some friends of his that listen to the podcast, and um, he knows they do, and so he wanted to give them a shout out. So, thanks, Blaine, for the shout out. I don't even know if you listen, but anyway, mm-hmm. <laughs> as Esther and EJ know now. you guys do. So, shout out to you guys. Amen. You will now. 
two for me uh, to um, Gina, Rudy, um, and Zane, uh, Milden Scoutsk. I don't know his last name. So <laughs> it might be close. Uh, to Gina and Zane, they're both focus missionaries at Mines, Colorado School of Mines, who I think around this time I will be attending either tomorrow or next week for uh, confessions. Nice. Um, so I'm going there uh, to hear confessions for Mines. They're two of the missionaries. Gina's super cool. She likes ethnic food so we get along real well um she's from cali um and secondly to devin dunn who is a ram catholic uh from csu and uh to jane little jane uh who was at cabrini uh who's now up at fort collins um she is uh really involved up there uh, Father Rocco's doing amazing work. Oh yes, he is. So absolutely. If you're in, if you're in, killing it. If you're in Fort Collins, I mean, all the parishes are good, but uh, John the Twenty Third, Father Rocco Porter is amazing. Anyone who like might have like a million dollars laying around. <laughs> Amen. I mean, if you don't want to give it to the Our Lady of Lords capital campaign <laughs> or to the Byzantine, you know, like you know, uh, need for bigger space because yes. you know they're growing uh, exponentially. Uh, you might consider uh, supporting Ram Catholic yeah. or Buff Catholic uh, because the campus ministries on our college campuses are doing great work. They are. It's incredible. So, so much hope. And the goal is if Father Rocco builds the church he wants to with enough money that we're going to build a Byzantine Catholic chapel into the building. So we will have a 100-seat Byzantine Catholic chapel in the parish there so I can go up and say Divine Liturgy in a real Byzantine church. Can I, can I ask for a special, um, like if anyone wants to give money towards that? Yes, I guess so. Folks, if you want to get a priest to pray for you, have a urinal put into the sacristy <laughs> that only the priests can use and put a plaque with your family's name on it. Every time that priest goes in there, he is going to think of you and he's going to pray for you. $5,000. I looked into it. St. Joan of Arc. $5,000 St. Joan oh of Arc. Oh, my gosh. If anybody wants to give money for a urinal at St. Joan of Arc, you know. You will uh, get your name on a plaque. I will five, put it on a only plaque. Only mere $5,000 for Father Nathan to pray for you. That's right, folks. Daily. It w- I will use it daily. I will use it daily. Nice. So, anyways, um, that's all I got. Me too. That was a good topic. I yeah, like that. Thank you. Thank you. Catholics have podcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook. I hope you guys... Oh, man. Is this going out after Lent? Uh, Starts? Yeah. Whoa. I think this might even be on like... Uh, Sorry, folks. Ash uh, Thursday or whatever Have you guys call a it. great Lent. Yes. Do not try to become perfect in 40 days. Yeah. <laughs> uh, grow in dependence on Christ. Amen. Um, and part of that dependence is poverty, yeah. like you were saying. Yep. Rely on Him. Don't don't be afraid to mess up and realize you're weak. That's of course part of what what poverty is, or what what fasting is, and what Lent yeah. is. Okay, Catholic Stuff Podcast Gmail uh, We will see you next week. All right, God bless y'all. Love you. Bye. Later. Bye.